Hi, I'm your host, Dave Kemp, and this is Future Ear Radio. Each episode, we're breaking down one new thing, one cool new finding that's happening in the world of hearables, the world of voice technology. How are these worlds starting to intersect? How are these worlds starting to collide? What cool things are going to come from this intersection of technology? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Okay, so we are joined here today by two reoccurring guests, two awesome guests, Dr. Kim Cavett and Mr. Jeff Cooling. Welcome back to the podcast. Why don't we go one by one, introducing ourselves, tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do. We'll start with you, Kim, ladies first. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm Kim Cavett. I am an audiologist and I do consulting work in the hearing healthcare space from my office here in Chicago. I've been an audiologist for about 30 years. I've been in consulting about 20, um, do a lot of work with the Academy of Doctors of Audiology, still teach in an AUD program at Northwestern, and uh, I'm involved a little bit in the regulatory space because I am the chairman of the licensure board for the state of Illinois. Lovely. Well, great to have you back on. Jeff, tell us a little bit about yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the irritating one, the irritating one. (laughs) The fun one. Yeah. I like fun instead. My favorite Irishman. (laughs) I know. (laughs) So uh, qualified in 2006, 2007, was in private practice for years, and then went to work for a manufacturer. Went out on my own in 2014, doing consulting and stuff like that. Uh, and some locum and um, probably most famous for having a very big mouth. Uh, <laughs> and I am the co-editor of Hearing Aid Now, which is a consumer-focused site. And uh, I've written, I suppose, some articles and strategy documents on a site called Just Audiology Stuff, which is more uh, profession-focused. So that's me. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad that you two joined me today because I've had some conversations on the podcast lately that I wanted to build upon today with you two, Um, you know, going back with the conversation I had with like Abram Bailey and Steve Taddy, uh, Andy Bellavia and Kat Penno really talking about like, okay, there's a lot of change that's occurring in this hearing healthcare market. Um, Some of it is kind of long overdue with uh, you know, the the delay in the OTC legislation. And now we're seeing companies just basically saying, screw it and bringing their products to market, even in this limbo period. Um, but I think that there's just this kind of question mark of like, as this continues to change, where does the, the hearing professional like fit into this evolving market? And I think that, you know, a lot of what we're seeing is probably going to be, you know, with the more moderate, to severe end, what I kind of think of as like the medical side, um, will probably stay somewhat similar. I, I, am not sure that there's this, you know, what, what a lot of the change that's occurring right now is going to impact so much. Um, what I really think is kind of happening is we're finally seeing this mild to moderate portion of the market, which we know to probably be pretty sizable is really starting to appear to open up in terms of the different offerings and the access to those offerings becoming available. Um, we're seeing, you know, all kinds of new, like I talked about in the previous episode, Sennheiser buying, or I'm sorry, Sonova buying Sennheiser. And, you know, that kind of followed on the heels of not long ago, Oticon buying 
uh, Phillips. And so you see like, okay, so there's some jockeying happening here. And, um, you know, so I think if we look at this new sort of portion of the market that's opening up and we, and we operate off of the basis that, okay, historically, uh, the hearing aid penetration rates and hearing aids being kind of the quintessential solution for hearing loss, um, it, it's been hovering around like 25% historically. That, you know, these numbers kind of vary based on the source, but if you kind of average it out, it's probably somewhere in that ballpark. So about a fourth of people that should be treating their hearing loss are, and there's, you know, probably a portion of those that even own hearing aids, how often they're even wearing them. So we've historically been plagued with this sort of status of there aren't enough people really treating and combating their hearing loss at scale. And so I think that what we're seeing with all of these moves that are taking place with the sheer proliferation of AirPods and all of these new augmentation features that are being embedded. Um, you know, I just saw yesterday Qualcomm and Jacody. now that partnership that was announced about six months ago, um, it's starting to come into fruition. There's a new, you know, basically with Qualcomm's QC5100 chip, which powers a lot of hearable devices, is going to have the ability for those OEMs to basically flip a switch to turn on Jacody's hearing augmentation. So you're going to have kind of like this basic level hearing augmentation. And so all of these things, if you kind of put all these pieces together, what we're looking at, it appears to be that we're about to see a lot of adoption in this mild to moderate market. And that's where I want to kick things off with you two is to figure out where does the audiologist, where does the hearing professional kind of fit into this market? And what are like the, the ways that we as an industry can start to kind of wrap our heads around like how we should be preparing and positioning ourselves? And what are the things that we shouldn't necessarily be thinking about? Like what are the, the maybe the, the red herrings that we shouldn't be gravitating towards? So Kim, why don't I just kick things over to you and kind of get your thoughts on on what's going on and and kind of your overall take of like where things are headed. I think you did a really good job of really outline what's going on from the hardware and device standpoint and where things are headed. From the provider standpoint, the solution is simple, practice audiology. I mean, that's really all you need to do. Your opportunities are in front of you. You just need to practice audiology and decouple your identity and your whole financial structure from the product and focus on what the service is. There's just so many opportunities out there. If you would just stop caring where the hearing aid came from and start focusing on providing the care that none of these entities will be able to provide, um, at the level that you can provide it. But again, you've, you've got to rethink who you are and what's important to you. And just, again, I tell people constantly, the key to the future of audiology is audiology. Yeah. So that it's really that simple. Okay, we're going to definitely come back to this whole idea of double down on audiology because we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before, but I'm really excited because you just recently wrote a piece that we're going to go into um, that kind of details, like I think in specifics, what the opportunity kind of looks like. So before I do that, Jeff, I want to kick that same question that I asked Kim over to you, kind of just broadly speaking, where's your head at in terms of like where this market is at? And you wrote some really good pieces recently on kind of like, where does the, what's the future of retail audiology? What's the future of the hearing care professional? 
I think um, so. I think that the, the, you're dead right. There's an explosion of augmented audio. Okay, I think that that will lead to earlier adoption um, by people because they will be familiar with the idea of augmented audio from their headphones or from their TV or from whatever. Right. Um, I think the future for us lies in a more in a, a more holistic approach to to hearing care okay and by that i mean offering solutions to consumers that they want as opposed to that we want them to have (laughs) (laughs) so i i think you know we need a we need we need to have you know be really cognizant of these um new innovations, these new technologies, we need to include them in our offerings. Uh, and that will, you know, be in different ways than perhaps we've we've ever done before. Um, but we need to include them and we need to offer this more holistic pro- approach. I think we will be, or we could be, what we are supposed to be, and that is guides in the journey to hearing better. Um, and, you know, up to now, have we really been guides in the journey to hearing better when our focus is on selling hearing aids? So, you know, I think, uh, to be honest with you, I think it's a good thing. I think it will change how we practice, what we offer, and we'll, we'll move us towards being just that guides to guides to hearing better. Yeah. Jeff, I use the term, I don't want to be the captain of someone's hearing journey because I think the patient needs to be the captain. I want to be the navigator. Yeah, no, that's, and, and you know what, Kim? That is excellent analogy. You know, and it's exactly the way I'm I'm thinking that, you know, the future will be is that, like, we'll help them navigate the journey, like, but they will, they will demand and want control of that journey. Uh, to now really... What retail audiology has done is told them this is the journey, suck it up. <laughs> yeah, do it our way or no way. Our yeah. way or our way or no way. And I mean, I Dave, I don't want to take over, but I do have a question no for Jeff. Go I mean, you I, I would be very comfortable that I would have an and I don't I don't need think I need to have clinic time to for a DTC solution, but I could have an e-commerce store that I vetted all the products that I could give you great descriptions of why and who they're good for that I if I had a patient that was in my office that needed that solution I would just direct them to their my DTC store and I would keep that very arm's length from my clinic operations yeah no no agreed like agreed wholeheartedly I think that um I think but that that's what we that is exactly what we need to do we need to adopt these technologies we need to offer them and for some people, it will make perfect sense. Like, and as you said, and, and just as I was saying, as a guide and a navigator to better hearing, who better do, to, to offer those products and to guide them through those different product offerings? Like, I think that if we don't, and this is the key, I think that if we don't do exactly as Kim has just said, that we'll no longer be relevant to consumers. Uh, in their journey um, and 
the future of technology and innovation that's happening right now eventually may preclude us from hearing out sales. Like the AI, the artificial intelligence, the leaps forward in artificial intelligence right now is outstanding. The, even the machine learning that's been undertaken by Widex and now by Signia through Widex. Um, whisper. Yeah, listen, whisper. Like it, it's endless and it's really, really, really good stuff. And it's only gonna get better. Um yeah. so like if if we're not relevant to a consumer when they're considering a product or they've started on their journey with a product with the idea of augmented audio. How are we going to make ourselves relevant later on? Um, it just we, we, it just won't happen. And, and how think, are we going to not look self-serving? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, up to now, we've looked pretty self-serving. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so right. this this is, um, you make a really interesting point here, Kim. Okay, so let's use this example of these D2C items. Okay, so you have, let's just say you have this $500 um, call it a Bose device. And that device can be bought at Best Buy. That device can be bought at Bose.com. And that device can be bought on your hearing shop, uh, you know, your your little e-commerce attachment to your store. So then that begs the question, why would they go to you uh, over these other things? And And this is, I think, actually at the heart of where the opportunity really lies is that you're the reason that people, whether it be a hearing aid, a DTC product, it's about you, right? It's about that navigator aspect of this where it's not like you come in and and you know, like this is going to be the device for you. It's more of let's really understand your hearing loss. And, and that might mean, you know, you have to really start to convert your services into being much, much more conducive to meeting the consumers where they are, you know, rather than just assuming you got to come into my clinic and see me and perform all these tests. You're just pushing people more toward Best Buy where they don't have to do that. And they have this, they've done their own research and they've determined this is the device for me, where they even buy it direct from the manufacturer. So again, this is where, in my opinion, you have to figure out like, how, how do you really kind of justify why people need to come and see you initially? And what does that look like? What does that experience look like? Because, you know, I think again, it goes back to this notion of like, Yes, the hardware and the solutions are changing, but the delivery model needs to change along with that too. The access to the care and all of the evaluation and your expertise, I think needs to be made more accessible too. Great. Yes. So I, if again, I'll, I'll just speak, I'll, I'll be the American voice here for two seconds. <laughs> and we do have some insurance in, involvement that is getting much, much more prolific than it used to be, that there's more and more coverage for this. So in the in the world you have to be everything that DTC can't be. So I would have an e-commerce site, I would have a self-assessment on my own website. You can test your hearing and then it could direct you to an e-commerce solution. If your hearing falls below, I like the whole the adage of I would do a, a hearing, an online hearing test, a hearing handicap inventory, and something called Cedra, which is a uh, what does Cedra stand for? But it is a an, a 10-question assessment of otologic, potentially otologic problems with, that would require medical intervention. If I had a patient that got greater than a moderate hearing handicap, 
on my all my self tools that they could do at home are greater or and or greater than moderate hearing loss and or failed cedra they need to come in these are people and i would have my my website drive them to the reasons why they need to come in if they pass all those things then i would direct them to the links of the products that would be good for them they don't have to come in but if they want to come in they can and if they came in we would do a communication and functional needs assessment that would be beyond the traditional audio metrics that would be speech and noise and more detailed case histories and inventories. It would maybe include cognitive screening. It might include unaided real ear if they had a funky ear and I needed to know how to couple it. It might include a dexterity test to see what they can handle. It might include an auditory processing screening. It's gonna include a lot of patient inventory and a lot of patient interview. And then at the end, you create a care plan that may or may not include a traditional hearing aid. It might still include an OTC or DTC solution. It might include implantable devices. It might just include accessories where they just really need TV ears or they really need some auditory auditory rehabilitation. But that's what we need to be offering is really evaluating these folks as to what their comprehensive needs are. And I will take this opportunity that if And any of my students who list, my students or former students who listen to this know, if you do not have in your care plan some discussion of hearing protection, you are immediately going down 10 points on anything. We have got to do a better job of prevention and protection. And that should be part of every care plan. I mean, talk about opportunity too. Talk about opportunity. Hearing conservation. I mean, seriously, like, you know... (laughs) it seems obvious to me that there's so many different professions out there that operate heavy machinery, loud machinery, people that are just in exposed to high levels of noise for extended periods of time. It doesn't take long to really think through, okay, where are all the local businesses around me? Is that an opportunity? Should I go and start pitching myself to them and, and, and helping them to understand like, musicians are a great example. I would bet that a lot of musicians don't really even understand that like what a musician's earplug is, is it's actually a filter rather than it's like just occluding your hearing. And it's not going to really make the the sound of the music any less. It's just going to turn the volume down. Like those are the, there's so many things like that. It seems like. Absolutely. And so I guess, you know, when I'm thinking through this, um, cause I agree with you, I think, okay, so you have this thing on your website. Like I, I had that, I tagged you two on Twitter with the uh, duet Swenpool. Um, you know, he had that, uh, chart where he showed, you know, here's kind of the advantage of having an online hearing screener that works when you're not in your office. Right. And I think that's another really fascinating aspect to this is these kinds of tools, they enable you to sort of operate in a sense, whether it be just the lead gen, like you said, Kim, where, you know, maybe you don't even fail that and you get directed to, you know, on something on your website here, you can buy that. So there's a little bit of a business opportunity, but for those people that maybe do fail it and that warrants the next step, which is you need to now meet with me. Um, what does this next step look like? Because uh, I've been wondering this, like, okay, so we know now a little bit more about this patient. Are we, and again, this is a lot of people that are being captured online. So 
I know that there might be like licensure laws, like, you know, because if they're out of state or whatever that might be. So again, this is a little American centric here, Jeff, but I'm curious, like the way in which what, you know, in the absence, I guess, of, cause it's obvious if, if they need to just come and see me in clinic, but, but again, let's think a little bit outside of the box here and think of what about those people that maybe aren't in the capacity to come and see you? Is there a way that you can facilitate uh, again in, in this, something that highly differentiates you in an online setting of that, again, that next step. I mean, yeah, I mean, here X have basic, here X aren't the only ones, but basically they have a clinic in a box, right? Uh, you send it out to them. It's on a, it's on a, a, a tablet, right? It's a clinically graded test. There's a, um, video autoscope in the box, they shove it in their ears so you can see the ears, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, they don't have to come into you anymore, right? And I mean, so, you know, a lot of the argument, and, and there is, you know, there's some substance in the argument. A lot of the argument is, well, you know, simple AC, air conduction, pure tone audiometry, doesn't really tell us enough um, for <clears throat> medical purposes or for the fitting of the hearing aids, right? Because if there's a conductive element there and you just put in, you know, AC results, you're, you know, you're not getting the right output, right? So, but the thing is, is that, you know, mind you percent of people who wander through your door have just simple sensory neural hearing loss. So, um, and you know they've start, we've started to move forward with things to address the possibility where there's you know medical issues like as Kim said the Cedra um, hair exit thrown in as I said a very easy to use VO they shove it in their own ear uh, and it clearly shows if there's wax or if there's a problem on the eardrum or if there's perhaps fluid in the middle ear etc etc I think, though, you know, although it may well come in the future whereby you can either do an online test or a rem some sort of remote setup test like that, that will actually give full uh, clinically validated results that are safe or, or, or that we feel really comfortable with in relation to medical referrals and stuff. Like, I think they're coming. You know, like, it, there's... It, there's a difference in the growth of loudness between uh, people who have conductive elements and, and people who don't, right? And surely there's smarter people out there than me considering how they can use that to offer a, an online test that will flag up some sort of conductive issue. You know, Jeff, so you've been an audiologist a long time. You know good and well that if you see an audiogram that has poor hearing in the lows or is some flat moderate that it's probably conductive or has some semblance of a conductive component. Conductive elements, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we don't need, you don't need bone. You don't need to, I mean, looking in the ear is the one thing that's the hardest thing for me to let go of, but I've let go of it. Um, you know that it's either wax or it's some semblance of some degree of a conductive component. So, so to get all caught up in not not you but for our colleagues who just get all caught up in oh this is so bad and so dangerous I'm just sorry it, I just I think it's more dangerous to not treat hearing loss right. 
<laughs> I mean, seriously, especially with all of the research that's coming out with, and again, I always have to preface this. I know that causation does not equal correlation, but I'm just saying there seems to be a lot of links to a lot of very detrimental health risks um, around your brain if you live with hearing loss for an extended period of time, especially knowing that it tends to be progressive hearing loss. It gets worse. And I want to add in about Duet and the folks at Herex. This is science research-based products and, and software and tests. This is not, these are not fly-by-night people. These are academics who have created a product based upon their research. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, their their stuff is outstanding. I've always outstanding. Yes. Uh, you know, always thought their stuff was outstanding. From the, the the first time I got a hold of their their original VO and uh, then like started to play a little bit with their online testing process and stuff like that. Say the stuff is outstanding. And like it's not as you said, some fly by night rubbish, right? Um and and 90, as I said, 90% of people have just simple sensory neural hearing loss, full stop. So, you know, the argument that, you know, oh, well, you know, online tests can mix some of the medical problems. Yeah, yeah, it can. But to be honest with you, 90% of the time, that won't fucking matter. Because <laughs> there won't be any medical problems. You know, so... You know, where do you, where do you go from that? And I think that's really what I've seen, you know, consistently in all the years I've been involved with this business, this obstinate refusal to adopt or move forward. Um, you know, we're doctors, <laughs> Jeff, we're doctors. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, the only reason we can even talk about remote care, right? It's because of the fucking zombie epidemic. Yeah. You know, uh, nobody would be adopting remote care. There'd still be 20% of, of clinics adopting remote care. You right. know, so, I mean, and, and consumers want that. You know, consumers are busy. They, you know, they've lost the lead. They don't want to be coming to your, driving to your practice, waiting in your waiting room. Coming into your clinic, bro. Okay, some of them do. Some of them actually enjoy it, you know, and that's part of the reason why we are the care and service industry. Um, but many of them don't, and they would rather you use the uh, tools that they that are available for you to do remote stuff with them. Yeah, I um, you 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 touched on something there that I wanted to mention. So Kim, I heard you on a podcast. Uh, it was Life Aloud. It's Jason Wiggins podcast. Yeah. This is an awesome podcast, by the way. So shout out, check this podcast out. But but I was doing a little research. I was like, okay, you know, searching for, I, I do this. I look at my guests to see like, are you on any recent podcast so I can just gather some more information? And you said something fascinating on that podcast. You said that it takes start to finish seven and a half hours to get a hearing aid on average in terms of like you start by setting that first appointment and it takes that much time to walk out with something. And again, this is like, these are the opportunities in my opinion is, can you cut that down? Can you make that more efficient? You could cut that down a lot if you would do a lot more remote remote evaluation or or remote follow-up especially that's the low-hanging fruit but think mm -hmm. about it 
most of us are going to make sure that we get there, you know, between zero to 15 minutes before our appointment. So in order to do that, in almost any place in the United States, no matter where it is, unless it's next door to you, you're going to need to leave 30 minutes beforehand in order to get there. So you're going to have to drive or walk to get to where or take the train or whatever it is to get to where you're going. You get there early. So that's now we're now 45 minutes that we've sucked up and we haven't seen anybody. And then we see someone takes 30 minutes to an hour, and then you got to go back the other direction. That's still attached to that visit, the time to go home or go back to work, because it's time that you can't do anything else. You can't, you're going to have to take time off work. Think about if you're a sour, salaried, I mean, an hourly employee, you're literally missing getting paid, or if you have PTO. You're taking away from vacation time and you've got to do that typically three to four times before acceptance. You might be able to be fit if they have stock RICs. You might be able to be fit that day of that evaluation. But typically you're going, especially if insurance is involved because you're going to have to have an invoice with the patient's name on it, you're going to have to come back. And again, you're going to have another hour to two hours in that visit as well. And then follow-ups. Almost everyone that I talk to wants two follow-ups or is requiring two follow-ups in that evaluation and adjustment period. Yeah, I I did the math and it got to like seven and a half hours. Who wants to do that? I don't want to do that. And let me ask you, so with those follow-ups, what exactly is going on? Is there any reason you need to be in clinic for that? Are you doing any types of tests or anything like that? This is my own naivety. I'm just curious. Can I be honest? If it was me, I, it depends on the situation and Jeff, please just step in. Sometimes you are literally doing nothing because the patient's completely happy. I could have found that out to have myself or my staff person either do a telehealth visit, text them, email them or call them and find out if they needed to come back. (laughs) I didn't necessarily have to schedule them to come back. But people, if you tell them they need to come for follow-up, they're going to come for follow-up. And do some people need to come back? Yes. Does everyone need to come back? No. But we make everyone come back. It's one size fits all. Yeah. And it's our protocol. It's our standard of care. This is why we see them all the time. So this is why we're better. That's just bullshit. (laughs) I don't know. That's you see them all the time because you feel like I've had more than one person tell me this, that if they're not with you, they're unhappy or they're somewhere with someone else. Who cares? Mm -hmm. Are they happy? And if you do, why don't I just send them a hearing handicap inventory or an AFAB or a COSI that they did before and see if they're if, if things are better, why don't I ask them in a survey? Why don't I give them three questions, a smiley face and a text? There's all sorts of ways that I can ask them if things are okay and not have to see them. And if things are okay, they don't need to come in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, you know, appointments for fucking no reason are appointments <laughs> for fucking no reason. For no you know reason. I mean? Um like, so, I mean, and as Kim said, like, yeah, you know, you have to treat every patient differently because every patient is different. You know, um, they all have different wants. They all have different needs. They all have different acoustical needs. Um, 
and you, you have to treat them like that. So, so it's arbitrary. But what's happened is, is that, you know, nobody, un, nobody has unbundled, right? So everybody feels they have to justify the price that they are charging, okay? And, and how they justify the price that they are charging is based on face time. That's what it's based on, in-person face time. Okay, uh, and some people, you know what? Some people need that in-person FaceTime. They really badly need it. But for a lot of people, like say Steve Clarich, right? My business partner and the other editor and author on Here Night Now, right? Steve Clarich has been wearing Here Night since he was 13 years of age. He knows more about fucking Here Nights than somebody <laughs> on the just sign up. You know what I mean? He, he doesn't need... He doesn't need five follow-up visits. Yeah. Steve needs you to fit his hair nights well, get them to target, give him an app where he has complete control over the acoustic output, right? And he'll be ecstatic and he'll turn up every now and again when the receiver fails. You know, so if 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 I'm dealing with Steve, right? What's my justification for charging the same price for Steve's hearing aids that I'm charging Doris, who's in with me every three or four weeks because she forgets how to change the wax cards mm-hmm. or she wants a chat? Do you know what I mean? Like, so, like, and that, that's one of the things that I think this industry has struggled with for so long. Like, um, and the answer's always been bundle prices, bundle prices. Uh, I think that the future is is not going to be um, it's not going to be gentle to that to that business model. Um, up to now, the technology and innovation that's happened within Hearnades has actually conspired to keep the business model as is, to protect it, right? And, and I said that in my article, I don't mean that, you know, there's been a great conspiracy. There hasn't. What's happened is the direction of innovation and technology has just really ensured that hearing aids stay within the current model, right? And listen, that's changing. That is, that is really changing. Mm-hmm. The innovation and technology outside of the hearing aid world, what's happening there and you know, combined with some of the innovation and technology changes that are happening within the hearing aid are shaking up and loosening the protection of the existing business model. If um, if I can have a set of hearing aids fitted to me and then use the AI on my hearing aid app to fine tune them moving forward in the moment, right, why do we need to go and see you? Like, why do I need to go and see? You know, yeah. uh, and I, I and I think that that's, you know, I, I said that to somebody and they're like, oh, you know, I had somebody in and, you know, and I had to and do it, fit this and I just had to fit them. No supercomputer is going to do that. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I <laughs> and, and so, Jeff, this is that exact story about Steve is why I became passionate about unbundling in the 1990s. And 
and why I've been on this unbundling bandwagon in the United States now. It'll be, it's almost been 15 years. Um, but again, people just, it's going to cost me, I'm going to lose money. It's not about the, it's always, I'm going to lose money or it's not good for the patient. I'm like, always, my answer is, I put my academic hat on. Can you please show me the evidence of that? Do you have evidence to support that statement? Because the bottom line is we don't have evidence to support a lot of stuff that comes out of people's mouth, that we're better. Show me, show me where your outcome, where our outcomes are better. Show me. And I would love, I'll support you if you can show me, but you can't. And I'll, I'll be the elephant in the room. There, there is a force that is in this industry that is socialized and conditioned almost like a cult leaders do to believe that unbundling is bad and change is bad and all these uh, new entrants are junk and you are better. You're so special. You are, patients have to have you and if blah, 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 blah. And they believe it. Everybody believes it. And they believe that over data. They believe that over the writing, the, the writing on the wall in terms of the, what the, what the elect, consumer electronics industry. And then they ignore the stuff that, that this that the industry is doing internally, they ignore what they're doing because they're protecting us. That's just bullshit. You're dead right. Like you know, um, this idea of you know this idea of um, that change isn't going to happen or, or or we're too special for change to affect us is it's just rubbish. Like, and I was talking about Lexi here and right and now listen, Lexi here and they're turning into tonnes, right? I mean, there's nothing special out. All right, there isn't. Right. right. And uh, yeah, but they're fairly, you know, they're okay, basic, decent here. Right. I'll tell you what's special about Lexi here. Right. Lexi here is just a platform. Right. The, con- the consumer journey, the onboarding, and the customer service that they offer is fucking outstanding. Right now, Lexi are really, really intelligent with what they've done. They're doing this, and that's what they focused on, right? And the the, the hearing aid product is just a hearing aid product, right? Yeah. Lexi could decide tomorrow, right, to sell phone hearing aids. Yeah. Or <laughs> resale hearing aids. Or right. the hardware isn't really what makes it important. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And actually, what they focused on the consumer journey, the benefit to the consumer, right? The onboarding are the things that are the biggest threat to us in retail audience. Well, let me let me actually play a little bit of devil's advocate here because I actually think that the, the so the gamification element of Lexi is one of the most interesting innovations I think to have transpired here recently. This idea that you actually get rewarded for wearing your hearing aids and it's a little shop and you get little things and little perks, but I think that it actually is on to something much, much bigger, which is, and this is what I wanted to ask you to is like, okay, so hearing aids are in, in, in these in-ear devices, you know, all of them, 
they're so interesting from a telehealth standpoint because they're little computers, so they can get a lot of data. And so when we talk about like this, you know, vision of what the future might look like, where you're more of this navigator, you're more of kind of consulting them and guiding them through their hearing loss journey. What's fascinating to me about something like Lexi, and and I know like Starkey has a little bit of this too with their Livio um, platform, but this idea that as the provider, you would actually have insight into their usage data that you can then use, like Kim, you've been talking about the inventories, the questionnaires, the surveys, you can augment that even further, I think, to really get an understanding of like, okay, here's where I struggle. And you can see the log of the data to see, okay, at 3 p.m. when he said that he was in this restaurant, this is what it looked like. And so it's arming you, I think, with a whole lot more information that again, just it, it positions you as I can make sense of this for you. The, the consumer is largely not going to probably be the one that's going to be making sense of it. It's either going to be the system itself, but more, more likely, I think that it's this idea of, almost being a data coach where you're really kind of using that to understand like, here's, here's actually what I'm seeing from a performance standpoint. And that might be the big opportunity is again, in this model, if it's very much online. And another thing that we didn't really even mention with how many time savings there can be for the patient, there's a lot of time savings for the clinician too. So you can see so many more people. Yes. And so, so what is this all kind of building toward? Well, maybe this model in the future looks a lot more like I sell this device to you at cost. Maybe there's a little bit of a markup, but I'm going to sell you the device. And then where my, I get compensated is for the navigation piece, right? This idea of like two weeks from now, we'll meet and we'll kind of discuss what that first two weeks has been like. And I know that this is already sort of what a lot of people do, but I'm saying apply it in this more like online oriented world that allows for so many efficiencies from a time standpoint. So Dave, I have a client in the U.S. that actually does sell their, does dispense their hearing aids at cost. And they, the patient actually walks away with the invoice. Interesting. For everything, for repairs, for ear molds, and then all, it is a hundred percent service-driven pricing. Full transparency. It was very, very important to them that when we created their pricing, that that we created a pricing model that was fully transparent. This okay. was something that they very, very. It was philosophical. Something mm-hmm. that was very important to them, and so. Imagine a world where you, I'm a big fan of the patient interview and really asking them a lot of questions and listening. Like I ask questions and I listen back. And then imagine if you can, (laughs) yes, if you can add data to that, like you're telling me in your average day, you're struggling in this meeting and now you have data that goes with it. Oh, maybe we need a table mic. Maybe we need a Roger. Maybe we, maybe I need to come to your meeting and experience it myself. I used to do that all the time in my implant world when I saw patients. I would go with my implant patients and they paid me for my time Mm -hmm. for situations that were difficult so that I could just sit and take notes and go, okay, this is how you need to approach this moving forward and create an auditory rehabilitation plan for these folks that's not about the widget. It's about what do you need to support your brain and your peripheral hearing and your widget in order to maximize your communication. And there's a lot around that that's not about the hearing aid. And we, 
again, I work in Northwestern. Audiology was founded at Northwestern post-World War II as an auditory rehabilitation of hearing, of hearing loss. It was rehabilitation of hearing loss. That's what audiology is about, really. Mm-hmm. And we've lost sight of that. We've completely lost sight of this is who we really are, rehabilitationists and not salespeople. But you know what, what you were just talking about there, and, and Dave, sorry, going back to what you were saying, like, oh, you know, sell the device and actually two weeks later come back, right? Unitron built a whole ecosystem around that concept, right? Flex, right? Yeah, using the Flex trial, right? Using the app uh, with the instant feedback, using all of those things, right? Uh, and nobody used them. No, in fairness, right? In fairness, right? A lot of the time, you know, it kind of pushed people towards stopping around hearing aids. No surprise, right? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love his laugh so much. Right. His laugh amazing. <laughs> it delivered really good data, and it, and, and it delivered data that you could, as a clinician, you know, begin to make some decisions upon and begin to make some outlines on. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. Uh, you know, I was saying er- I was, when we were talking earlier before the podcast started, I had a patient uh, just yesterday and I did a quick sin and the scars were dreadful. And that framed how I was going to talk about a solution for this person. And with, with the problem areas that we had discussed in depth, what I uh, advised was a Roger Select IM and a set of Paradise Earnings because, you know, that's what she really needed. Her, her speech to scream was, was pretty bad. Her speech to scream in quiet was pretty bad, let alone in noise. And, uh, like I had to tell this lady, listen, doesn't matter how much you spend on hearing aids, they aren't, they aren't really going to do the job. Uh, they will, they will help, but they aren't going to deliver anywhere where what you would like. However, if you couple a Roger Select with them in those particular areas, family areas that you are really concerned about, that it will help. It will help. Uh, and that's a hard conversation to have, right? But if, if we don't have the data, if I didn't have the data to have that conversation, if I didn't understand her needs, if I didn't understand her abilities, right, uh, well, then you're not having the, the right conversation. You're not giving them the right recommendation. And that's what we're fucking supposed to do. <laughs> yes. Amen. That's what makes audiologists audiologists. It's like, not, I mean, can I shove a widget on your ear? Yeah, like, I mean, people are so protective about, you know, audiologists and, and you know, and, and, this, and some are rightly because they offer a service and they offer a really, really good service. They do those in-depth tests that give them an understanding. They listen to the patient and then they talk about solutions, right? But a solution just doesn't include a hearing aid. And sometimes a solution won't include hearing it. And I think that's what we need to get our head around. And I think the reason why most people are afraid of that and they're afraid of offering this kind of holistic hearing approach, right, is because how am I going to make it pay? 
Right. That's the crux of it all. Yeah, but like, and, and you know, I find that really irritating. I have a successful doctor, and how am I going to make it pay? Work it fucking out. <laughs> it's a fucking job. Work it fucking out. Do you know what I mean? You're, you're supposed to be a businessman or woman. Work it out. Like, I, I don't know. And, you know, it, and that's where I take my hat off to Kim, right? Kim has laid it out. Recent article laid it out. This is how you can make money, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, thank you, Kim, for that, right? But, but why should she have to? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why should she have to? Um, people should be smart enough to work it out themselves. So I, that's yeah. my rant for today. <laughs> <laughs> I love your rants. No, I, I, you know, I think that what it boils down to is that you know you can't. Um, I think this is the this is one of the biggest struggles that that this industry sort of grapples with is. Um, you don't want to be perceived as a salesman. However, your entire business model is dependent on the sale of hearing aids, right? And for by and large, I mean, some, some um, you know, hearing aid professionals are in certain settings where it's not as much of a, you know, kind of like a, a success factor, I guess. But by and large, I think that, you know, it's always been this way where it's like, this is how you generate revenue. And this is, the, this is always sort of what existed. And this is what people know. But David always hasn't been this way. It, I mean, prior to 1978, audiologists in the U.S. made their money off of care. Mm-hmm. That's how it worked. And there are many successful audiology practices in this country that do not do not provide hearing aids. Yeah. I mean, I, all, I always go to Dr. Ferry, Jan Ferry here in Chicago. Jan is, specializes in auditory processing. She doesn't even see adults. She doesn't take any insurance, and she probably has a waiting list of seven weeks and mm-hmm. doesn't dispense hearing aids. Yeah. I have a client in California, vestibular clinic. They do not dispense hearing aids. There are... I. Not tinnitus clinics do, but that's not real. I know many tinnitus clinics that dispense hearing aids, but only to their tinnitus patients. Yeah. No, I I, I agree with you. I think that there's, you know, th- this is like, if we can figure this out by and large as an industry, that's awesome. Like if we really do have it be something that's much more tied to your expertise and your service, like most medical professionals, um, then I think that this industry is going to be in a great position because again, it goes back to the beginning of the conversation. So opportunity. If you, <laughs> if you operate off the assumption that this is a big time growing pie. And so you don't need to necessarily fixate on this idea that like, well, now suddenly my, you know, like existing patients are going to go and they're going to buy these OTC self-assessment things. Some might, but the fact of the matter is, is that there's going to be a whole lot more people that are at least the, the barriers of entry are getting kind of reduced to rubble in many regards. And so I think that if you sort of operate off this mindset of like, this is a growing pie, growing industry, lots more people potentially that want to access my services. Again, this kind of goes back to the beginning of like, how do you make these services a more accessible? And then how do you sort of pivot to uh, a way in which you're compensating for the, you know, ex- kind of the depreciating revenue from the hearing aid sales to this new more service oriented model. And it, it does, it goes back to 
probably having to unbundle, having to, you know, like really start to itemize, like, here's what my billable hour is. And here's how much these things cost and being able to justify it through, you know, again, I'm not here to sell you a device. I'm here to help navigate you through this traumatic period of your life and to give you a semblance of like, you know, everything that you're losing from your debilitating hearing loss for some uh, and, and helping them to, to navigate this as best as they possibly can. That seems to be the obvious answer and there's facets of it. So Dave, I have a business plan that I still may execute when I decide that I, and the business plan is that I wouldn't dispense any hearing aids. And so I would do communication needs assessments and I would have an e-commerce store. And if I got to the point, I wouldn't have emittance either. If I got to the point that I needed emittance, I need a referral. If I, um, I would have just, I wouldn't do medical. I would just do communication needs assessments of children and adults. And then I would have an e-commerce store for the folks that didn't, that wanted to get amplification direct to themselves. I would have the hearing test online. I would have Cedra. I would have an inventory. I would build a, a back end to that e-commerce store. I'd have it, I'd have it fulfilled by someone other than me, and I would just do communication needs assessments when I felt like it, so that I can partially retire, and I can work when I feel like it, and I, if you, if you cash flow it, let's say I did four of them a day, five days a week, and I would do them any time of day, I would be more of a concierge open business, and what that means is if you want me to see you at eight o'clock at night, I'll see you at eight o'clock at night. I don't care. But let's say I do four, four day, five days a week. And it wouldn't have to be Monday through Friday. It could be Saturday or Sunday, whatever. Let's say that's how many I do. Four a day, 20 a week at $250. That's $5,000 a week. And I didn't sell anything. Mm-hmm. Didn't sell anything. And let's say I did that. 40 weeks a year. That's $200,000. And my overhead was probably minimal. Yeah. Right. It's so feasible. It seems like, I mean, and again, it goes back to this notion of like, if you're really willing to take it upon yourself to do these things, whether it be, I need to redesign my website. I need to include a hearing screener, embed that on there. I need to add an e-commerce store. Like you said, I need to make it so that it's, I can facilitate these Border, like it's not as if your patients are unaccustomed to Zoom calls. As Jeff mentioned, the pandemic yeah. ushered in a lot of new norms. And so your patients are probably going to be very comfortable with like an online consultation like this, even if it's a step one. It just seems like yes. again, that seven and a half hour time to get a hearing aid is like, okay, if you can cut that in half, that there are so many implications of that. And I can make money while I'm sleeping. Exactly. The way. The way I would the way I would pitch it to the profession is these is so a good established scientifically based online screener, right? Is a triage. It actually exactly. saves it saves them time and money because it makes sure that chair time is protected. Right. And by that I mean every time somebody sits in your chair right, as a business, you really need to be making revenue. You know, that type of triage system makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Uh, It makes sense for everybody. It makes sense for the consumer. It makes sense financially for the business. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, Jeff. Kim, Jeff, I, I think that this has just been a wonderful conversation. Um, lots to unpack, lots to think about. But I think that the 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 moral of this conversation is that you know there are a lot of opportunities, and I think that there's a really optimistic way to look at things. Again, off this idea that this is a growing pie. So I'm sure this won't be the last time we uh, we chat, but until next time, thanks for everybody who tuned in here to the end and we will chat with you next time. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Future Ear Radio. For more content like this, just head over to futureear.co where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll chat with you next time.